Hey folks, and welcome back to Hey Adora, your queer she podcast. I'm Force Captain Math, they, them. And I am Princess Jenny, she, her. And we are so excited to be back. Woo! Yes, we're so excited to be recording again. This is our first time recording since October. I know, and we're really excited. We, uh, we're super excited. We have a new producer. Yes, so. we have our producer, Seth, who we adore. We have a team. We're locked and loaded. We are back in production, and it feels so good. Feels so good. So, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's do it. So today's episode is a fan favorite. And it's, it's, I mean, there's a reason it's a fan favorite. Today's episode is Huntara. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Yeah, Gina Davis. Awesome so, on so many levels. Awesome on so many levels. Huntara is the second episode of the third season. It was written by Laura Srebny, di- directed by David Wu, with storyboards by Diane Ho, Angela Kim, and Sam Szymanski. Crimson nice. Waste, Crimson Waste. Yes, we crimson made it waste. to the Crimson Waste. I love the Crimson Waste. Yes, we could also call it Black Rock City or the Playa if we want to, because it's kind of Burning Man-esque in its, you know, total lack of um, livability. Yeah, not necessarily I, in the culture. No, no, definitely not. I also have that it's uh, the design and concept is deeply influenced by the American Southwest. Uh like, because you know, Black Rock mm. City is like more in Nevada, uh, and this yes, there are which many is different it, kinds of desert climates, of course. Right, yeah, and the, you know, Black Rock City is actually uh, part of the Great Basin Desert, um, and this is more kind of the parts of the Red Rock Desert of the Colorado Plateau, so Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and uh, southwestern Colorado. Um, if you've ever been to Zion or Sedona or you know the Painted Desert, it's that kind of vibe yes. all of the vibrant red rocks the dunes the strange rock formations yeah uh, you're right you're correct i was being glib um yeah and the truth is nothing grows in the playa where burning man happens that's why that land is available to house you know tens of thousands of people for one week out of the year because the land is totally unusable there is zero plant life zero animal life nothing can live there and of course in the crimson waste there is both plants and animal life so it's not really like the playa yeah i mean I was it's just the, trying to be funny yeah i it's the desert i spent some time this summer wandering the desert um and i uh, i love the desert um, so I was yeah. really excited. It's I always get super beautiful. excited when we drove through, uh, I drove from like down to Utah through Arizona into Mexico and I was taking pictures and texting everybody that I was in the crimson waste and it was really fun. So nice. I was really excited to do this episode. Nice. So, you know, we have our, you know, and it's like, you know, traditionally like a lot of Western and cowboy movies were actually filmed in uh, southern Utah, actually, um, which is pretty cool because it has that look, especially like the rocks and stuff, the cool red, red rocks. Yeah. Um, we're gonna Arizona talk about- as well. Um, Arizona, when my yeah. dad When my dad first graduated from college, he spent two years um, working at um, a youth center on a reservation in Arizona um, that was on Mount Lemmon Mm -hmm. outside Tucson. Um, And there were a lot of Westerns filmed there too and they paid the kids to be extras. Yeah, yeah. Uh, When I was driving, when we were driving through Utah, there was like this weird 
like roadside tourist attraction that was like, come and see the cave. So of course I'm like, I love roadside tourist attractions. You know, I love that. So we stopped and we went in and this dude like built this bar in like the fifties and like Ronald Reagan. Out of a giant dinosaur skull? No, no, no. That's next though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, that would be beyond epic. It would be beyond epic. If only we knew some folks that did that. If only, um, sorry, if only, I, if only, sorry, I interrupted your story. Please continue. Oh, I was just saying that, like, he built, he found this natural cave and built a bar there. So the people and, and people that went there, including like, you know, John Wayne and Ronald Reagan, because Ronald Reagan actually was an actor who did shitty cowboy movies before right. he was a shitty president. That's right. Uh, and they used to have parties in this cave and there was a bar because it was the only, it was a naturally cool place. So the movie stars would go in there. There would be countries bands playing. They would party, they would cool off. And it was in this like gorgeous, like weird rock, red deserty mountainy place that looked a lot like the crimson waste. That is cool, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we have the Crimson Waste where, you know, just like the Western movies, it's on the edges of civilization where only outlaws exist and there's giant ass dinosaur bones and all of that stuff. So fucking badass. It's fucking badass. And so, of course, the, the three sweetest babies in Etheria are now wandering through. This desolate, desolate place. Indeed. But before we get there, we have some quick N.D. Stevenson news that we want to share. Yes. Um, so do you mind if I jump in with this? Please. And you can supplement as needed. Absolutely. So, so not everyone might know this, but I'm sure many of you know this. Nate Stevenson's very first published project was a graphic novel called Nimona. And that is what won him his first Eisner Award. If you're not familiar with the Eisner Awards, they're kind of like the Academy Awards for comics and graphic novels. They're given out every year at San Diego Comic-Con. And Nate won, uh, was became the youngest person ever to win one at age 23 for Nimona. That was 2015. And he only held on to that title for three years because in 2018, Tilly Swenson, Tilly Swilden, whoever wrote Spinning, she won at age 22 oh. for Spinning. I wasn't super fond of it, but, you know, it's a winner. Many other people liked it. You can check it out. Um, and Nimona actually started out as a webcomic series while Nate was still an undergrad at Maryland Institute College of Art and, you know, grew in popularity. It eventually turned into his senior thesis and then it became a graphic novel, was published, was beloved. And uh, the film rights were bought by a small production company called Blue Sky Studio or Big Sky Studio. Um, and that was a subsidiary of Fox. Fox got bought by Disney. Disney was like, this is too gay. We're not going to make this. And they shut it down when it was 75% completed already. And so people were pissed, obviously us included, because like no one else can make it if Disney owns the rights to it. Right. And so it was dead in the water for several years. Um, But then Netflix came to the rescue, bought it, and it is now in production again, and it is going to be released in 2023. Yay. I'm so excited. Yes. And so it's a wonderful graphic novel. If you have not already read it, I definitely recommend it. It has a lot of similar themes to Shira, like mixing magic and technology. Uh, what are good guys and what are bad guys? How do we perceive these roles? Can we overcome them? What is redemption? Also, obviously, gay. <laughs> obviously gay, yeah. Um, so I would like to, before we move on real quickly, just read the book jacket summary and the Netflix movie summary rather than me blathering on about what I think it's about because that could take a lot longer. Sounds good. Okay, so here's the book jacket summary. Nemeses, dragons, science, symbolism. 
All these and more await in this brilliantly subversive, sharply irreverent epic from N.D. Stevenson. Nimona is an impulsive young shapeshifter with a knack for villainy. Lord Ballister Blackheart is a villain with a vendetta. As sidekick and supervillain, Nimona and Lord Blackheart are about to wreak some serious havoc. Their mission, to prove to the kingdom that Sir Ambrosius Goldenloin and his buddies at the Institution of Law Enforcement and Heroics aren't the heroes that everyone thinks they are. But as small acts of mischief escalate into a vicious battle, Lord Blackheart realizes that Nimona's powers are as murky and mysterious as her past, and her unpredictable wild side might be more dangerous than he's willing to admit. Ooh. So that's the book, and it seems like the movie's going to be fairly true to the book, but you know. An adaptation is an adaptation. Right, exactly. So the Netflix movie summary is, a knight is framed for a crime he didn't commit, and the only person who can help prove his innocence is Nimona, a shape-shifting teen who might also be a monster he's sworn to kill. Set in a techno-medieval world unlike anything animation has tackled before. This is a story about the labels we assign to people and the shapeshifter who refuses to be defined by anyone. Aww. So, kids, you can go to Netflix right now, look this movie up, and then just hit the remind me button, and then it will remind you when it drops. That is definitely happening in my house the second I am done with this. Yes. So we're very excited about Nimona. Awesome. That's, yes. And there's one other thing that we wanted to discuss before we jump into the episode, which is that while we were on hiatus, we got an email and a tweet from our listener, Kyle, to let us know some stuff about Temple Grandin, who we talked about in season two when we were talking about Entrapta and autism. Um, So Kyle let us know some stuff. So I'm going to read Kyle's tweet to us and then some tweets that he put us onto. So tweet from Kyle. Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. We really appreciate this. We always want to be educated by people who know more than us about any topic that we might discuss. Hi, please read this thread about Temple Grandin. It was really distressing as an actually autistic person to hear such praises for a person who doesn't recognize me as human because I'm too autistic. So the first tweet that we got shown was, hi, I'm hashtag actually autistic. And just so NT neurotypical people looking to educate themselves are aware Temple Grandin is a self-aggrandizing, out-of-touch boomer who's internalized ableism and swallowed her own bullshit to the point that she is actively toxic to the people she claims to represent. Well, damn. So that's upsetting. And then the second tweet is, friendly reminder that Temple Grandin is an Aspie supremacist and citing her makes you look like one too. Hashtag actually autistic people don't have to be useful to be worthy of living. Which of course- yeah, we of agree course. With 100%. We absolutely agree with this. Yes. Yes. And we did know that Asperger's is a term created by a Nazi to separate the quote unquote useful autistic people yep. from the quote unquote not useful, you know, those who they were going to gas and those who they were going to keep alive and, you know, put to work in some way. Right. So that's super fucked up. That's not something that we adhere to or agree with. Absolutely. And, you know, it is often true that people who pioneer a field are limited mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Like the same can be said of Freud, for example. He pioneered the field of psychoanalytics and psychology and the structure of the subconscious, but he was very limited in many ways. Like his obsession, for example, with the phallus. Everything's about the phallus. People who have it are obsessed with losing it. People who don't have it are obsessed with being envious of it. You know, sometimes, sometimes a cigar, a cigar is just, is just a, cigar. a cigar. Right. But does that mean that Freud has no value? Of course not. Right. So, but, you know, we did not we did not know all that there is to know about Temple Grandin. So knowing this, I looked up, like, what, what are some harmful things that she's actually said? And so I found one quote. This is not 
an exhaustive research, but I found one quote that sort of shed some light on what are some damaging things that she has said purporting to represent people who she is shit talking. So here's one quote from her um, autobiography. In an ideal world, the scientist should find a method to prevent the most severe forms of autism, but allow the milder forms to survive. After all, the really social people did not invent the first stone spear. It was probably invented by an Aspie who chipped away at rocks while the other people socialized around the campfire. Without autism traits, we might still be living in caves. And that's from mm-hmm. Temple Grandin's book, Thinking in Pictures, Expanded Edition, My Life with Autism. Mm. So that's yeah. kind of on the edge of eugenics. Yeah, I was just about to say that's kind of eugenics-y. Yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. gross. Yeah. yeah. And so, actually, know, it's really gross. I'm not trying to yeah, downplay that. Yeah, that's yeah, gross. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> it's definitely very problematic. Absolutely. Um, so we apologize for propping yeah. up someone without knowing enough about them. And we really appreciate the pointing that out in the education. Like Jenny said, we we want to know. Please yeah. tell us. Yeah, yeah. I want to know what kind of thoughts that you have about the Crimson Waste. I am so ready to okay. jump into that Crimson Waste. Let's go to the desert. Let's go to the desert. So as I mentioned before, Crimson Waste, Red Rocky Desert. It's very, very dry. It's very scary. There's weird shit everywhere. Weird plants. Weird rocks. Weird Giant bones. weird skeletons everywhere. Giant weird skeletons everywhere. And who is in the middle of it but our sweet, sweet friends, the best friend squad. They're they're adorable. And this place is not fucking around. And this place is not fucking around. So, you know, Adora is grateful that everybody is coming to, you know, hang out and like really help her find her destiny. And, you know, was checking in and being like, so really the queen was okay with that? Of course not. Because, you know, Glimmer's a little bit of a rebel, so... Yeah, Glimmer wasn't even going to bother checking with Queen Angie because she knows the answer was no. (laughs) She knew the answer was no, but this is more important. Yeah, and I've got a note about Adora. She has an establishing shot. She stands alone with her back to the camera looking majestic as fuck with the sword at her back and the wind in her hair. It's awesome. It's a great opening shot. Great opening shot. Also, like, I still don't know how the sword stays there. And that's fine. Yeah. There's no scabbard. Yeah, they're never going to show it with a scabbard. Yeah. It's like magnetic. And she's got like a magnet in her back. Yeah. It's like one. It's like one of the the She-Ra skills that she's learned. You know, she can turn it into like, you know, like a wristlet. But I think the other one is that she can just turn it into a giant magnet that sticks to her back. So, yeah. But don't don't question the magical rules, Meth. I, <laughs> that's what we're here to do. Yeah, but. I mean, I've also noticed a, th- there's a lot of examples in this episode, but in other episodes too, that things just hover. They don't hit the ground. Like they make a, a compass and they just put a little thing on top of the rock and it just hovers. And like well, boats, because- boats just hover over the surface of the water. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Don't so think about that. So maybe the that. sword is just hovering against her back. Yeah, maybe it has something to do with like magnetic properties yeah, of the Crimson Waste or whatever. Anyway, so, you know, and of course, other things that don't make sense here, like a bird that touches a plant that then turns to ice in a desert. It looks like ice, but then in the next episode, we see that it's really being petrified. Yes. And I wrote that in my notes and then I rewatched it. And I think that it's either two separate plants or the animators had a blip because in the the petrification one, like there's no like covering of anything. Right. Mm. It's just like it's just like the, um, you know, the lady lizard just gets like the 
all shiny and stiff. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this one, it's like it looks like it's covered in something. Right. So. Yeah, you're right. I'm gonna assume that they that's a little inconsistency and in that it's probably meant to be the same plant. Yeah. Um, so because I've, actually they, the um the 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 petrifying plant and the and the quicksand, I started to think of the crimson waste having some commonalities with the fire swamp from the Princess Bride. Oh, rodents of unusual size? Yes. I don't think they exist. Exactly. The three deadly secrets, you know, no one could ever survive there. And then, you know, it's like, oh, look, a little bird. Ah." Yeah. (laughs) Plonk. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we know that this is a great establishing thing to see that it is a weird, scary place that, you know, seemingly no one goes to because it's so weird. And, and so no scary. one can possibly survive there. And no one can possibly survive there. And there is no cell service. Yes. Bo's tracker pad is busted. And you can see that because the little computer bow face on it has the traditional computer dead face, which is X's for eyes and a tongue sticking out. Which I adore. And yes. so, you know, and Adora is optimistic. You know, taking everything with like, you know. She's got her survival training. Thank you very much. She feels prepared for the situation. Yeah, she can totally put a needle on a rock and watch it spin and just follow that direction. That's fine. Because that definitely makes sense. Right? Yeah, exactly. That is a horrid survival training homemade compass and also survivors. Survival skills Adora is my first gayest moment of this episode. I also had that. Yes. I love I also when we're in had sync. that. Yes. It is. Don't worry, guys. I got don't worry, I got this. Yes. It's okay. You Hold know. Hold my beer, I got this. Hold my beer, I got this. I can yes. take care of this. You know, She's it's like super upbeat. It's super great. It's it, it's you know, it's 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 we yes. get some really good Butch Adora in this episode. Yes, and yes. I'm like really Absolutely. happy about that. Uh, me so. too, me too. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'd and love to the, see a Butch the Adora. The very last thing in this scene that we see is as they're walking away, Glimmer looks back uneasily and sees a horde skeleton corroding oh. in the desert wind. Whoa. It's very foreboding. Whoa. Wait, people have tried, including the horde, to come to the Crimson Waste, possibly to conquer it. And no one has been successful? Even the Horde could not hack it in the Crimson Waste. Damn. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And now we have credits, credits, credits. credits. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Meth. Are we going to win in the end? I think we're probably going to win in the end. I think it's going to take some time. Although, if any place was going to challenge that thesis, it's this place. It's definitely the Crimson Waste. Yes. All right. So, when we go to a new scene, hey, speaking of the Horde, we now jump to the Fright Zone. Yes. One of our favorite places in the Fright Zone, Hordak's little man cave sanctum lab. Uh, His emo man cave of incel technology. Oh, God. You can tell I really like Hordak, guys. Well, our feelings about Hordak might change by the end of this episode, at least a little tiny, tiny bit. I don't know. That's true. I don't know. We'll, we'll have see. to see. We'll see. We'll have to see. But, but at, at the start, we see Hordak and Entrapta standing side by side as Entrapta takes her usual little scientist voice recorder notes. This could finally be it. Initiating first test. Here we go. And Hordak is... What? And then I wrote, boom, 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 things be happening. Things be happening. Things go bonkers. But Hordak is smiling. He's like smirking. But it's like a like, 
There's 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 yes. something he's more than just good. grouch. Yeah, he's, he's feeling, feeling good, good for the first time in perhaps a really long time. Perhaps ever. Yes, and maybe yeah. ever. Yeah, Entrapta is just enraptured by science. Yeah, and Hordak looks over at Entrapta. He's actually smiling at her. Yeah, like he is possibly proud, possibly grateful, feeling feelings about another person. What? No way. Hordak? Crazy. It's crazy. This is wild. This, this is, is wild. All, this is all very new. But oops, something's going wrong. And uh-oh, what? Hordak? Hordak tries to save Entrapta? And this could be the first time ever that Hordak's first impulse is to save another person rather it's, than just save himself. Wow. He might actually like someone. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I buy it. I it's, don't know. I don't. I mean, there's that, that impulse is there. We can't say that it didn't happen. Yeah, it's true. She, we, I mean, we runs did. to turn it off. Hordak grabs her, and then in the in the ensuing wreckage, we see that Hordak has shielded her with his body. Whoa! That is Whoa. what has happened. That's that's almost yes, like he has sacrificed his own well-being. Because as yes. he sits up, we see one of the wires in his armor snap. And he flinches in pain and turns away from her so she won't see that he's in pain. Oh, wow. Hordak. That's All a right, tiny that's... detail that it I actually is. didn't notice until this viewing the little wire snap. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But Entrapta gives us a tiny bit of like, you know, set up for an exposition. You know, it doesn't make sense. We had some first ones tech. Yes. You know, we did, you know, we did all this other stuff, blah, blah, blah. Hey, maybe when Catra comes back from yeah. the Crimson Waste with some tech. It's uh, like there's a key. <laughs> and Hordak is like, Catra is never coming back from that fool's errand. The machine is a failure. It's like, oh, yes. okay, dude. Now you're going back to being an incel jerk. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he says, we're done here. Get out. And he does the get out, get out, get out. <laughs> yeah, then he pulls a Don Summers. <laughs> he pulls a Don Summers. But Entrapta is super confused because she's like, but that was literally just the first test. Yeah. This is not how you science. I mean, I understand. I, I kind of sometimes I tend to be the like, well, it didn't work this time. I'm done. Well, I mean, that's fair. But you are also not like in charge of a giant facility. No, you no, know. no. And I'm also not like, you know, uh, uh, you know, def- you know, defective, clo- defective, quote unquote, right, clone, right, incel, right, right, conqueror. Right. So like we can so, understand you know. not to say that we excuse, but we can understand why both of them have the reactions that they have. Absolutely. So Entrapped is confused. She wants to continue. And my next note for Hordak is, I said good day, sir. <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> so Imp, little Imp, pulls Entrapta out by her hair. Sad Entrapta. Doors clang shut. And scene. And now we cut to Adora, Glimmer, and Bo in the Crimson Waste being chased by a Hydra. I actually couldn't tell whether it was three separate snakes or one three-headed snake. I think it was a three-headed snake. I'm leaning more towards it being a three-headed snake, but I and I kept going back and trying to confirm this, but I think you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It, even if it's three, if it's either a three-headed snake or three very, very close snakes. Yes. Either way, 
it's all bad news. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, sometimes a sand dune is just a sand dune. And sometimes it's a pile of very angry sand colored snakes. Yes. Very large, angry sand colored snakes. Uh, you know, and uh, Glimmer brings up a really good point that, of course, all of us have been wondering. Why can't she just teleport them to the center of the waste? Because she doesn't know where it is. And she would run out of teleports before they ever got there. <sighs> Whatever, Bo. Yeah. Whatever. But, you know, Adora Making remains, sense. Adora remains upbeat. And, you know, I love the fact that, you know, she starts out her little review seeming like it's going to a place of we're going to be fucked. Because she's like, okay, to review, the plants are evil, tech doesn't work, and sometimes a sand dune is a pile of very angry sand-colored snakes. Right. And you think the so is going to be so we're fucked. Right. But she's like, no, so, I think we're really getting the hang of this. Bless you, She's like, I'm figuring it all out bit by bit. Good job. Good job. Maybe if she just keeps getting into trouble, she'll figure absolutely everything out about this place. Right. And so this is where I put some little sub points about why um, the Crimson Waste is starting to remind me of the Fire Swamp and the Princess Bride. We've yes. Got lightning sand slash quicksand. Random flame spurts, which is from the Princess Bride, mm-hmm. which is could be, you know, p- petrifying plants. Right. And then the rodents of unusual size slash giant pile of snakes. Giant pile of snakes. Yeah. So, you know, three cool. deadly things in I a place this. where supposedly no one exists, no one could survive, there's nobody in there because everyone dies immediately. That's the vibe that we're going for. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. Yeah. So, so of course, as Glimmer is, you know, being reminded that her powers are limited, she falls into lightning sand. Yes. It's not just quick, it's lightning sand. It's lightning quick. So, <laughs> and then Adora dives in. Immediately forgetting that her friend Glimmer can teleport. Immediately forgetting. Also, you don't dive into quicksand. Right. And having no plan. Like, what was she going to do? Yeah. Also, like, that's not how quicksand works. Uh, maybe it, it is in magical crimson waste quicksand, but... Well, she uh, forgot to do what Wesley did in The Princess Bride, which is grab onto something so she can pull them both back out when she finds the person that she's looking for deep exactly. within the quicksand. Like, once within, she finds her, how is yeah. she going to get them? Any, it doesn't matter. Anyway, and, and it's a very yeah. funny moment. And spoiler alert, I actually go a little bit into what quicksand is in the next episode that we yes. recorded live yes. at FlameCon. That you recorded live. I did not get to be there because I fucking got COVID from my roommate three days before. Oh, you got COVID? I thought that you got chipped. Oh, well. <laughs> yes, it was fun. Fun that you told people that. Much more fun that way. Yeah. Um, yes, oh, yes. Well, I was temporarily COVID. chipped with the COVID chip. The COVID chip. <laughs> yes, it was a COVID chip. But you I, did not get the COVID chip from the vi- from the, the vaccine because that doesn't exist. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I was no. able to get the COVID chip removed anyway. Uh, yes. So luckily, Glimmer teleports out unharmed. And goes back to Adora go, very goes comically. Back to Adora, spitting out sand and the the... <laughs> The comment that I have here is there is going to be sand in so many places that are not comfortable for walking. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. That's going to be terrible. Terrible. So uncomfortable. Like, you need, like, four showers for that. Oh, God. That reminds me of one time when I was a camp counselor. We had to hike down a mountain to get to a beach with a bunch of eight-year-olds. 
Oh, my God. And then we had to hike back up the mountain after spending the day at the beach. And one of the eight-year-olds just flat out refused to walk because there was sand in her shoes. And she just started freaking out, saying, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Oh, and I had to baby. carry her on my back up a fucking mountain. And this was Northern California. So it was not a joke, this mountain. Yeah, that's like an actual mountain. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of like, I feel like the people in charge could have predicted that it would play out like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So I get it, Adora. I get it. But, you know, Adora. Yeah. What's that on the horizon, Meph? I don't. It's. I don't know. I I tried to see. So I made these hand gesture that looks like I have binoculars, but I I, apparently some hand hand binoculars there, some hand binoculars. Yes. And I can't really see, but I'm really grateful that you handed me actual binoculars. So I could actually see what it is. And Jenny, can you describe this for me? Yes. It's like a crazy makeshift dinosaur desert shelter made from the sun-bleached bones of a woolly mammoth or an Ethereum dinosaur. Or maybe they've stumbled onto Burning Man and it's a giant art installation where you walk inside and someone offers you ayahuasca and you confront your core self in the void. I don't know. I mean, I feel like this, that kind of lends more credence to your, um, we're actually, you know, on the playa. Yeah, theory that's, of, that's the of the crimson waste. That's the most yeah. playa-like thing we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah. So is this giant dinosaur skull shelter? Either way, where no one could possibly be. Yeah. So you know, of course, they're gonna check it out because there's no way there's anything in there. You know, maybe it's abandoned. But you know, either way, they'll be able to get out of the heat. Yes. Adora remains upbeat. Maybe there's map or water inside but probably not people right but probably not probably nothing because this is some full-on edge of the world shit yeah so they go in and of course there's people so many people so many people and i want to talk about the music here for a second and kind of do a little bit of professor smart braining around music sure for this so as we walk in we get this like traditional what we understand now as the western movie music so we have like the western guitar riff the rattles and flutes and whistles and airy synthesizers which kind of give the feeling of like vast expanse so Mm. what do i mean by western guitar so uh western you know so we're talking about western not western music is the genre but like the Western films and how guitars are used in Western film scores. So both acoustic and electric guitars are often used in Western film scores. Acoustic guitars in Western film scores uh, and music subsequently um, influenced by these scores are often open minor chords and riffs and runs evocative of Spanish guitar. Now the electric guitar that is used in it uh, is used in a higher treble setting or twang with tremolo and reverb effects. So tremolo is a and reverb is the hello, 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 hello. It's not actually an echo. And it's not like it's an echo, right? So, and both of those are used to give the sound of the guitar the feeling of the heat and the vast space of the desert. Because that makes we have, total sense. Yeah. So why do we think of these tones and this kind of the style as Western or cowboy soundtracks? Well, we think of them because of the king of movie scores, Ennio Morricone. 
And this is my Professor Smartbrain moment about spaghetti western music. Now, I want to remind you that I also bring up spaghetti westerns in, spoiler alert, Once Upon a Time in the Waste. So I'm not going to go into the genre itself, but I am going to talk about the music. So Ennio Morricone was the principal score composer for Sergio Leone, who was the director of most of and the pioneer of the spaghetti western genre. Um, So... He created some of the most iconic film scores of all time, including, you know, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is the... That's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I've certainly heard of that, even though I haven't seen it. It's an iconic classic of the genre. Iconic classic of the genre, starring Clint Eastwood. Uh, Spaghetti Westerns, super influential... You know, they've influenced everybody from Akira Kurosawa to Quentin Tarantino... Like I said, we'll talk about that in the next episode. But Morricone was a crazy, important, prolific uh, score, uh, you know, movie score producer. He's scored over 400 films. Um, And it wasn't just all the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns, but he scored films like The Battle of Algiers, which is... um, one of those films you watch in college if you're a film if you're a film student I watched it in college uh, I say look it up Sallow or 120 Days in Sodom which is an incredibly controversial film which also one of those things that you watch if you go to film school uh, Exorcist 2 Le Cage Faux which you may know the American version which was uh, the, bird the American cage. The Birdcage and The Thing which we talked about before because that was a movie that um, Whiteout refers to So we've talked about the thing before. That's right. That's right. The Untouchables, Cinema Paradiso, and Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. So Morricone, the man, the myth, the person that came up with this type of this helped develop this type of tone. There were other guitarists um, that did work on this type of tone, but he's the one that kind of planted it wow. in the popular subconscious score 400 film that's fucking crazy it's fucking nuts right yeah so i'm going to uh right now i'm gonna play just an example of what i mean by western guitar have something juicy to talk about i actually have a note mef should talk about the bar music here yeah <laughs> yeah but I, I had no idea that it would be so illuminating that the yeah, music I, was actually meant to evoke the landscape yeah that's like a that's really big thing interesting. that's a really big thing when yeah. scoring westerns is that you know because a huge part of the like the american western and the development of the western is you know the landscape the lands you know the yeah, the whole yeah, thing where yeah, like the yeah. landscape is 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 its own character right yeah it is so so we you know setting you, his character yeah yeah and that's music does right music in form you know Absolutely. music in film is is you know informative yeah. of you know and is just as informative as any other you know part of film and you know it is it kind of its own character so Absolutely that is our music for our bar cool and cool. so, of course, we have them walking in just like in a Western, you know, everyone's quiet and turns around. There's a stranger in town, right? Everybody looks so tough. Everyone is so tough. There are so many, so many toughs here. 
Mm-hmm. There are so many tufts. So of course, have scars, eye yeah. patches, scars and eye patches. Yeah, you know all the whole Megillah. So yes, indeed. So Adora's like, okay, well, let's just try to act tough and and blend in, right? And Glimmer's like, all right, fuck yeah, I could do that. What's up? Yeah, yeah. I love that Glimmer's way of acting tough is to spit. I and love that. Bo's way of acting tough is first he says, good afternoon, fellow patrons. And then yeah. he's like, wait, wait, that's not acting tough. And he corrects by saying, except I don't even care if you do have a good afternoon because I'm bad. Yeah, it's, it's Bo so doing his. It's fucking adorable. It's awesome. It's him being like, hello, fellow kids, you know, with his yes. music band T-shirt yeah. and his skateboard backwards <laughs> yes, hat. Yes. But like, then he's like, wait, wait, that wasn't bad. Yeah, I need to be I need to be mean. Yes. And then his idea of being mean is to say, uh, except I don't care if you have a good afternoon. Yeah. Which I'm of so course. bad I I don't even care if you have a good afternoon. That's that's really bad. Yeah. I, I mean. And so, yeah. you know, so we have Adora walking in and Adora utterly oblivious to all the social cues around her. Utterly She's oblivious. She's so on task right now. And is, you know, trying to like, you know, big dyke swagger in and you know mm. you know she's like all right i own the place it's fine but mm-hmm. still still not owning the place enough mm-hmm. so she thinks she is though she thinks she, she is just gets right up on the bar I'm excuse me everybody she, you know she's basically <laughs> like hi we're lost anybody have hi. directions hello we're outsiders can you yeah. please take advantage of us yeah like, and glimmer's know. like uh Dora, not sure. This is a good idea. Uh. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's not a good idea because, yeah. you know, as pointed out, they are outsiders. And, you know, they don't take kindly to your folks around here. Yeah. You know? And so this like, is where we meet Goat Girl and Lizard Girl. Goat Girl and Lizard Girl traveling the world, being henchmen for all the boys and girls. <laughs> Indeed. Goat Girl and Lizard Girl. And they're going to be our friends for the next two episodes. Ah, oh, I love them. Yeah, I do too, honestly. I, they're, they're great little, they're good at henching. Yes, and this is actually you know? a note that I had for the next episode that I didn't get to use <laughs> since I didn't get to be in that episode. Um, these characters are two more in the category of it's nice to see female characters that don't have to be heavily female coded in animation. Yes. Yes. You know, they aren't female coded at all, except that goat girl has boobs. Yeah. And we know that lizard girl is because they, they say they use female pronouns. They use female pronouns. Yeah. So that's the only way we know that these are female characters. Yep. They or, don't have to have yeah. bows on their yeah, heads. Yeah, exactly. You know, or, you know, big red lips or, you know, overdone eyelashes or anything else to be like, oh, but this is a girl mouse and this is a boy mouse. The boy mouse right. is just a mouse, but the girl mouse has a bow and big pink lips and eyelashes. And that's how you know that she is a girl and oh, not and just a, a regular person. Yeah. And a dress or whatever. Right. So it's nice to see, you know. Characters of various genders not being heavily gender coded. Speaking of not being heavily gender coded, yes. gender Speaking coded. of who broke that bottle over somebody's head? Fuck, that is an entrance. That is an entrance. From behind, we see a giant, muscled, ponytailed, purple person. Oh my goodness, who tells us that there's only two rules in the Crimson Waste? One. The strong make the rules. And two, don't annoy me when I eat. 
Yes. And then this person turns and glares and we see the face. And this person is introduced in the script only as Buff Lady. Buff Lady. And then as as a single unit, the entire populace of the bar immediately looks away. Boop, de boop, boop. Nobody's looking. Don't piss off the alpha. La, 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 la. And as an entire single unit, Jenny and I scream at the top of our lungs, holy shit, it's Gina Davis! It's Gina Davis! It's Ah! Gina fucking Davis! It's Gina fucking Davis, and here is my Professor Smart Brain moment on motherfucking Gina fucking Davis. Lay it on me, baby! Gina Davis is an Oscar-winning actor, activist, literal genius, internationally ranked archer, and gay fucking, I know, and gay fucking icon. So, quick fact, Gina Davis was born in Wareham, Massachusetts. Yeah, New England. I had no fucking idea she was from Massachusetts. Yeah, she's from the Cape. She's That's from Cape Cod. fucking cool as shit. Yep. Yep. So, New England represent. Got her start as a model in the late 70s and made her film debut in the movie Tootsie in 1982, which is a classic comedy. She went on to star in classics uh, like The Fly, which is directed by David Cronenberg, director of The Thing, which, once again, we brought up earlier and in another episode, uh, and Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, which was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Same. Um, my first the, one on a Rider movie. Yes. Oh, she's so good in that. Uh. Bless goth girls. <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh, and... The iconic 90s feminist film, Thelma and Louise, with fucking Susan Sarandon, another queer icon. That movie is gay, by the way. Oh my God. Movie is so gay. Another iconic movie that shaped us as little babies. Yeah. And also, like, you know, it's about, like, driving through the American Southwest. Yeah. So, yeah, it's another route. Yeah. Yeah. And... One of the gayest films of all time and the inspiration for the even more gay TV series, which was fen- is phenomenal. Jenny and I both really enjoyed it. Yes. A League of Their Own. Yes. A.K.A. Gay Ladies Who Play Baseball Gaily. Yes. Also, in addition to being a friggin' movie star, she's also a member of Mensa. So she is a literal genius. She also just on a whim got interested in archery in 1997 and you know became a world class archer in 2 years so I she no tried yeah she tried out for the US uh, 2000 summer olympics women archery team and out of 300 people came in 24th now she wasn't she didn't make the team but she has competed internationally. That's still pretty cool for someone who picked it up on a whim and has yeah. an entire other full-time career. Who picked it up on a whim at 40 years old? She's just like, I'm just going to learn archery. Sure. Gina fucking Davis. Okay, even more reasons why Gina Davis is a badass queer feminist icon. Then, in 2004, she founded the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media, which is a global research-based organization that researches representation in family entertainment media. So according to their website, they're, they're the only public data institute to consistently analyze representations of the six major identities that, you know, they do. Gender, race slash ethnicity, LGBTQIA plus people, disability, Age, ages over, you know, people over the age of 50 and body types. 
in advertising, film, and television. Very cool stuff. Yeah, but she's this has total fucking badass. And this directly leads us to her being on She-Ra. So. Yes, indeed it fucking does. From the 2019 San Diego Comic-Con panel, uh, Nate Stevenson shared how they managed to get Gina Davis for the role, saying it came about after the actress spoke at a DreamWorks event about gender parity in development, in television development, as part of her work with the Gina Davis Institute of Gender and Media. And apparently during the presentation, Gina Davis threw out that uh, she would love to work with DreamWorks at any time on a project and that they should just give her a call. So Nate hit her up. (laughs) Just like that. Just hit her up. Match made in heaven. And so when they showed Gina Davis the picture of her character, uh, Nate Stevenson says she saw the picture and the first thing she said was her abs. And then she just went around saying, yeah, my character is purple and enormous. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. So in short, in summary of your this professional smart, Professor Smart Brain moment, Gina Davis is as badass, if not more badass, than Huntara. Absolutely. Gina Davis, everybody. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. If you're an old gay like me and Jenny, when we first learned that Gina Davis was going to be on this show, I know I lost my shit. Oh, I yeah. totally lost fucking my shit. Amazing, because she's amazing. fucking Gina Davis, and she's like, she's brilliant and awesome, and she's fucking hot, guys. Like Gina Davis is hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. I mean, she's like mom hot, but still counts, dude. Like, I don't know. At this point, I'm like old enough to think people that are mom hot are just regular. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's all generational. Yeah. Even, you know, like, she's old enough to be our moms. That's fair. And we're old enough maybe to be other people's moms. I don't know. It's fine. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's bad. Dude, anyway. There's Gina, different Gina kinds Davis. of hot, and they're all beautiful and wonderful. Yeah, Gina Davis is all of them. Gina Davis is an incredibly attractive woman. <laughs> yes, she's fantastic. Yeah. She is so, all of the things. So we love Gina Davis, and we, we love do, She-Ra. a thousand percent. And we really fucking love Huntara. We do. We do. That was an amazing and very thorough background of Gina Davis. I did not know most of that stuff. Thank you. I I was very excited to do research on it's that. It's fucking cool as shit. Yeah. It's so really that was cool. a perfect introduction to this giant purple badass who swaggers into our lives and says, kids... What are you doing asking these lowlifes for help? Don't you know you can't trust anyone in the Crimson Waste? I just and then have we have... Oh, you go ahead. Oh, I, I have a note here because I just have butch lady butches in all butch-like and butches at the children, butching them what to butch. Nice. Yes. <laughs> he, that sums it up. And then I and swooned then have, a lot. So then we have our next gayest moment, which is probably the winningest gayest moment of the episode, which is... Adora dying of terminal gayness, stage four, self-sustaining glitter gaze. Oh yeah, she just glitters up. Her whole face is glitter. Oh yeah, she's got the gl- it's got the glissando harp and the hard eyes and the cupids flying around her. Adora is like in fucking love. This yep. is like yeah yeah no words no she words probably drooling big pretty lady hi yeah. so glimmer yep. has to do the talking yeah she lets 
buff lady know that up until two minutes ago, they didn't know there was anyone in the Crimson Waste at all. <laughs> so, you know, before, before they did not have a game plan in, in place for this whole situation. There's a really important thing here that we are actually skipping over, which oh, is... What is it? Um, so, you know, Glimmer is like, we didn't know anybody was here. And then Adora loses it. And then Adora cock blocks <laughs> on Tara. Well, we haven't she, gotten to that yet. I didn't she, skip over it. We just haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. There's two more gayest moments immediately following that one big gay moment. I have screenshots prepared, actually, oh, so we can okay. discuss them in detail. Okay. Um, but before we get there... We have some more dialogue because okay. Glimmer says they didn't know there was anyone here at all. So they did not have a game plan for dealing with said people. And Buff Lady says, right. scoundrels, criminals, outlaws, all of them. Be careful, kids. Next time I might not be around to save you. And she saunters off back to her table where the barmaid is waiting. But before we go over to see her there, Adora shakes off her, you know, horny frenzy. And she says in a tone of voice that suggests she just had a mind-blowing orgasm, oh, wow, we need her. Yeah. And that's, gayest, that's the next gayest moment, which is okay. just the way she says, oh, wow. She oh, says, yeah. She doesn't just say, oh, wow. She says, oh, wow, we need her. And then the next gayest moment, we cut directly to Huntara, a.k.a. Buff Lady, back at her table Getting nice and flirty with the very queer coded looking barmaid with the septum ring who also has very big muscles. Yep. And Adora is just like, hey, how you doing? And totally, yeah, yeah. totally cock blocks. So before Adora has time to cock block, I got two fantastic screenshots of Huntara and the barmaid. First, Huntara is sort of leaning over, has her hand in the barmaid's arm and it has like the swaggery eyebrows and the barmaid's kind of looking down at her like, "Ooh, how you doing? And mm-hmm. then in the next shot, they're both leaning very close into each other. It's like, so close. And Huntara has her hand moving up like she's about to touch the barmaid's face. And they're both like, yep, we're about to get it. And then Adora runs over and either cock blocks or clit blocks, however you want to say it. She just runs in between them and the barmaid runs off giggling. Yep, and, and Adora literally just like puts her face in between. It's like, hey guys, yeah. and it's like, uh, Jesus, Adora, yeah. fucking read the room. But Adora's all. Adora's, Adora's not reading anything outside of her own buzz right now. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, hi, hi, um, hey, uh, uh c- c- can we join you? Great, you know. Yeah. She's all like, well, oh. she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she sits. <laughs> She just like makes herself at home in the most awkward way possible because she's definitely like talking too fast and being like, okay, I have to impress you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. She's 12 right now. Yeah. Yeah. So hi. So uh, I'm Adora and this is Bo and Glimmer and we came to, and then Huntara is pissed. She's like, well, you know, there's, there's my chance for the day. Yeah. You know? boy glitter. Got it. I'm Slam. Huntara. You all suck. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and Glimmer's like, um, it's Princess Glimmer. And we're like, Jesus, Glimmer, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And Huntara <laughs> is not impressed with Glimmer's princesshood, princessness, princessosity, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And She's she just says, like, ooh, a princess. Me too. I'm the princess of the crimson waist. Can you tell? Am I not sparkly enough for you? And this is the first time, I think, ever that I've seen that Glimmer looks genuinely freaked out, kind of scared. 
not even a little bit of a spunky retort. Yeah, it's true. Glimmer's just like, oh, I real. This is out of out of Glimmer, my league. Yeah, Glimmer out knows my she's out of her league. She stepped yeah. in it. She uh, is out of not my pay being, grade. She's not being sassy. She's just like, oh fuck, I you know maybe we yeah. should not be here. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have yeah. But Adora just jumps right back in and asks keeps Huntar going. to be their guy. Yep, and Huntar's like, you know, uh, you did hear the whole thing about you know not trusting anybody yeah. and Adora what did kinda, I just tell you and Adora's like well yeah but you said that while saving us and they're like oh okay she, she's got a point yeah and I have another screenshot here of the best friend squad Adora in the middle so enthusiastic you know reaching out to Huntara to be like what do you say be our guide and the other two just looking at Adora with the biggest eyes like what the fuck are you doing to us right now <laughs> I love how like I one of my absolute favorite things, uh, but uh, you know, dynamics in the best friend squad is Adora doing something and Bo and Glimmer just giving side eyes like, okay, this is really gay. Like, <laughs> like but they feel like they have to be supportive. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is even like gayer than the other thing that you did. <laughs> like, my favorite one is in Save the Cat, where like, you know, when 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 uh, they're back on the ship and Adora is like, you know cradling Catra and has just like used her magical Adora Jesus powers to bring her girlfriend back to life. Yeah. And the Bo and Glimmer are like, okay, this might even be too gay for us to be here. <laughs> like, I think we're in the middle of a moment. Should we? Uh, okay, never mind. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like this is about self-preservation. Sure, sure. But there's definitely like also that like, uh, okay, Adora, got it. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So they kind of feel like they have to go along with it because yeah. they're being supportive of Adora's journey. That's the thing. They feel like they have to go along with it because they're being supportive of Adora's journey because that's what friends do. That's what friends man. do. That's what best friends do that are in a squad. That's right. That's so. right. But Bo really, really, really wants to have a little sidebar before they lock this shit down. Well, so they have I a little mean, sidebar. I don't blame Bo for wanting to have a sidebar. Hunter is yeah. eating the cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody has to keep their head on their shoulders here. Yeah. And he points out to Adora that all the other scary people in the bar are scared of Huntara, which is usually not a great sign. Yeah. And Glimmer's like, you know, rationally says, well, maybe we can just ask for a map. And Adora actually does have a pretty good point where she's like, well, you know, we actually need a guide. We need somebody that knows the Crimson Waste because we can't keep learning these things the hard way, no matter if we have a map or not. Yeah, a map is not going to get us past all these deadly obstacles. Right, right. So, Which it is a good point. It is a good point. And, you know, it's like they have to make a gut check decision at this point. And it's kind of tough to know, should you trust or should you not trust? And it's like, yeah, she she did just say not to trust anyone but she did say it while saving us so yeah yeah i I don't know what i would have chosen in that same situation it's it's tough it's tough to know what the right choice is but you know they made the choice yeah you know to uh work with huntara yes yes they did and it's you know it's a cute moment huntara interrupts their squabbling you know she's kind of the adult logic she's like if i say no you're just gonna go out there and get yourselves killed is that it Mm, lousy kids you know yeah yeah and glimmer you know being her little you know ever ever honest spunky self she's like i mean not ideally but yeah (laughs) well you know that's uh you know it's self-aware at least right yeah yeah i mean glimmer does not lie 
No, no, Glimmer does not lie. Yeah. So she's like, yes, this is the situation we're in. So we're going with you or without you. So and Huntara picks up her her, you know, retractable, you know, bow staff and spins it and Butchley puts it in her her holder and you know butchly extends her hand for an incredibly butch handshake of butchness yes and the best friend squad stares back in awe and i am very impressed that you knew the name of that weapon because i have a weapons corner yay jenny's weapons corner it's a corner for weapons yeah weapons corner so with this weapon i I had never heard of a bow staff specifically. The only type of staff that I was familiar with was a quarter staff. Mm-hmm. So I started by researching retractable quarter staff. And there are no retractable quarter staffs. There are only retractable bow staffs. And that's what I ended up at. Wait, that's a real thing? It is a real thing. Retractable cool. bow staffs are a real thing. And I'm going to put a link um, to a YouTube video that models a bunch of different styles of retractable bow staffs in the show notes. Awesome. Um, but you will notice that Huntara's weapon is a spear on one end. So it's not technically a bow staff, but it's the closest thing. The closest real world equivalent to Huntara's weapon is a retractable bow staff. Cool. Um, and so I want to do a real quick rundown on what is the difference between a bow staff and a quarter staff. Yay. So basically is one is an Eastern weapon and one is a Western weapon. The bow staff comes from Okinawa which is a small island off mainland Japan, while the quarterstaff comes from Europe. Both are traditionally made from hardwood, though the quarterstaff is typically longer and thicker. Um, And it's actually made from the trunk of a tree, even though a a quarterstaff, if you look at it, looks like it's a really big branch that you just stripped off the bark and the side twigs. Mm -hmm. It's it's not. Um, You have to make it from a trunk, which is why it's super solid and unbreakable. It's like strong as fuck. Cool. And the quarterstaff, Dates back to the 15th century. So sorry, Xena. That little bit was not not realistic. But since when do we care about Xena being realistic? Nothing on Xena has ever been realistic. Yeah, that's not why we watch Xena. No, it's not. Um, But the bow staff in various forms was used across Asia throughout recorded history. So it's much older than the quarter staff. Um, The bow was thought to have developed from the long stick called a tenbin that was used by farmers to transport baskets or buckets of grain, crops, or water across their backs. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a major development that increased the popularity of the bow staff in 1477. The emperor Shoshin banned all weapons. So owning a sword was outlawed. So the bow staff became incredibly popular at that time. Huh. Um, and so both of these weapons, the quarterstaff and the bowstaff, had different combat techniques developed for them over the centuries. Um, cool. Like for the bowstaff, the bowstaff has a martial art developed around it called bojutsu, mm-hmm. which literally translates to staff technique. Yep. Um, and in very broad strokes, the basic difference between the two forms is the quarterstaff is more thrust focused and the bowstaff is more swing focused. Cool. Um, and so, and as I said, there is no real world equivalent where one end is pointy, mm-hmm. but I am going to post the video um, from a martial arts company that makes their own retractable bow staffs, and there's a bunch of different kinds, and you can see it looks exactly like Hantara's. You just kind of flick it, and the ends shoot out, and then you can sort of turn it, and then pop it down on the table, and it retracts. That's wicked cool. Mm-hmm. 
I, I want one. I don't know how to use a bow staff, folks, but... You could learn. I could learn. I could le- learn bojitsu. I could learn the, the bojitsu the techniques of the horde. I think it's bojutsu. Bojutsu? Bo- yeah. Okay. So Either way, I could learn the, the techniques of the horde. You could. But I don't know if Huntara learned that from the horde or if that was something she learned after she left the horde. Well, we'll see when we've we... we've never seen anyone in the horde using a weapon like that. Well, we will see when we when we, we get see. there. Let's we'll see. Anyway, so that's the end of that scene. And now we're going back to Hordak's incel man cave lab. But meanwhile, back in the fright zone. Yes. Yes. So, so we are back with Entrapta and Emily. Mm-hmm. Hooray. Two of our favorite friends. Yay, favorite friends. Entrapta tells Emily and all of us. I know Hordak told me to go away, but I have some ideas for the portal machine. Oh, cool, Entrapta. Yeah, thanks for keeping us in the loop on that yeah, one. We yeah, we really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. But Emily is not having it. Nope. She tries to push Entrapta back out of the lab for her own safety. Emily is always looking out for Entrapta. She, I love Emily. She's yeah, the best. Yeah, I love Emily, too. She is a great little sidekick. What a pal. She reminds me of um, Beaker from the Muppets. Oh, yeah. Like, he doesn't talk. He just goes, me, me, yeah. me, 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 Yes, I, I identify with Beaker as sometimes I also only squeak. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Anyway, so Entrapta is struggling, you know, trying to hold her ground, and she ends up bumping up against a glass tank, also called a vitrine, with a creepy embryonic Hordak-type mutant creature suspended in fluids with a Matrix-style plug in its head total nightmare science experiment whoa yeah if i saw that i think my response would be something other than curious yeah which is my which is entrapped as response my response would be like you know on scooby-doo like on like scooby-doo or old school cartoons where like they 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 run but before that they like jump up and like their legs run in midair before they take yeah. off. Like yeah. that would be me. Yeah. I'd be like, whoop, 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 yeah. Whoop, 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 whoop. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I probably would be right there with you. Copious amounts of fuck that. Yes, yes. But Entrapta is a true scientist. Curiosity always wins out. Yep. She looks over and sees Hordak hunched over his desk, armorless, panting in pain. And mm. so we see, I think this is either the first or second time we've seen him armorless. And we see that he has like random holes in his arm, shoulder and torso. that are like USB ports. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, not holes like somebody stabbed him. Yeah, they're they ports. Look like yeah. They're ports in his body. Mm-hmm. So his body looks weird and fucked up and he's clearly in pain. Mm-hmm. And so Entrap looks over and sees this. And then she agrees that Emily might have a point. They should probably get the fuck out of there. So, of <laughs> they, course, what happens? So one of my favorite, like, you know, physical comedy tropes of, yeah. quiet, we have to be quiet, quiet, quiet. And then just like a, you know, a Goldberg machine of failure happens. Like, clink, yeah. clink, 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 thud. Yeah. Crash, yeah. crash, boom. <laughs> and, yeah. uh Just because she stepped on one tiny thing. Yeah. And then everything, you know, everything fell over. So. Yes. Yes. And so we have Hordak being Don Summers again. Get out. Get out. Get out. (laughs) But while he's doing that, he falls to the ground. Yeah. He can't even manage it. Yeah. Because he is fading. Um, And we have a great ending shot of Hordak's POV. As he's falling and his eyes are closing, we see Entrapta running towards him to help him. 
Aww, as friends. he's passing out. Yeah, Pals. he does. Yeah, he does not really deserve it, but you know, most of the time we don't help people because they deserve it. We help people because they need it. Yeah, you help people because you help people. That's why yeah, you do that's it. That's just what you do. That's just what you do. Yeah. And so that is the end of that scene. So that so then we we cut to the crimson waste where Huntara is, you know, Huntara places her weapon upon a stone and picks it back up and well, it it starts to hover and spin. And I would like to point out that she is using the same DIY trick to make a compass that Adora did at the beginning of the episode, almost like they've had the same training. I wonder if that's another coincidence. Could be. We don't know. Another coincidence. We don't know. Have to wait and see what's going to happen. Have to wait and see. Oh, yeah. Dora making awkward but very cute small talk. I really like this line for some reason. She says, so for a place that's supposed to be uninhabitable, the Crimson Way sure is habited. Sure is habited. And then we get a little, you know, a little exposition. Well, the Crimson Ways takes in all sorts. They come running from the law, from the enemies, from different kingdoms. I don't know why I'm doing this like, hey, how you doing? I'm a oh, tough like guy it. voice. But I like your tough guy voice. That's my interpretation of Huntara. Just like, I'm grizzled. I ate I... cigarettes for breakfast. <laughs> you know? I like it. I also so. thought it was a really interesting turn of phrase that she says the Crimson Waste takes in people yeah because it's this desolate inhospitable environment but it takes in the people who for whatever reason have been discarded by mainstream society yeah which all right so ironically it's like more hospitable than the than the traditionally hospitable places for certain types of people who are not well regarded by those mainstream societies which also plays into like you know the the western idea of like you know the out you know the lawless society yeah. of yeah. you know you know the west will take anybody right and right, you know of right, course right. It, that is absolutely from like the western movie trope we all know that you know what happened to the american west was fucked up just you know full stop what happened with you know yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. we could talk about U.S. history, at, you know, at another time. Yes, but suffice yes, to yes. say, this is another place where it is playing on the Western film trope. Yes, yes. And of course, I interrupted the conversational flow because Huntara saying the Crimson Waste takes in all sorts from all different places, different kingdoms, blah, 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 gives Adora the chance to say, from the Horde? <laughs> and then we have, wait, really? Huh. Hmm. And then and Huntara... Huntara she snarls like a beast, which I am into. I'm super into that, too. Yeah, I'm into this. I'm into What does she say, Matt? She says the war will destroy all those idiots get caught up in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huntara's got some feelings about the war. Got some feelings. And Adora asks, so what are you running from? Oh, and Strikes then, a nerve. Oh, but then this, like, I have this as a gayest moment, and also it's just kind of hot. Yeah. So, like, uh, I'll just read, you know, how it's described in the transcript. But okay. Huntara whips around and uses one hand to push Adora against the stone wall, the other hand spearing a bug right next to Adora's head. And she's, like, all close and, like, holds her down. And it's all close. And it's like, Huntara doesn't run from anything. You got that? And she, like, lets her go and then, like, looks at the bug that's on her spear. And she's like, I want to be here. And she's still, like, kind of close to Adora. And she bites off the bug's head. And then just chews it and is walking off. And Adora's like, huh? And we're all like, 
what <laughs> okay yeah, and, I, and i yeah yeah definite nerve strike and i also definitely think they they had her specifically say how much she wants to be here while eating a giant bug to illustrate that no one actually wants to be eating giant bugs yeah as a way of life to be like really you sure about that? Yep. And then we have some more, you know, so we have like instance one here of butch flirting. And then we have... Well, butch flirting slash nerve strike. I mean... <laughs> well, I think, I mean, it's pretty clear that she's pissed off at this line of questioning. What are you running from? Pissed her off. You really don't she think so? No, I don't disagree. I'm just saying they can often be one and the same. I think they can coexist. I don't think <laughs> they are is, the same. I think no, they are coexisting I, in the same I, space. I, I think that I think in this type of space they are definitely close cousins. Sure. Yeah. I'll give I'll 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 concede to that. But I am also I am pretty I am pretty hard in the camp of this is now a butch flirting hour because then after this happens, Adora pulls the hold back and wait and yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. throws the rock into the quicksand and Antara's like, not bad, Blondie. And Adora's all cocky and is like, what can I can say? I'm a fast learner. And I'm like, just do it. Oh, I mean, Adora's flirting through the roof. Yeah, but that was so like... Hey, I, okay, I see what you're doing. And Dora's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but, yeah and yeah. Antar's like, cocky, I like it. And I'm yeah. like, ooh, give some time and you'll do well here. And I'm like, girl. Antara's like, that'll do, pig. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that works too, though. And, yeah, no, and no, Dora's no. like, uh, you know, I don't want to be here. This place is terrible. But I don't know what we would have done without you. And I'm like, oh, butch flirting. But then Antara's like... Her expression goes soft and she smiles and then she's like, mmm, 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 shakes it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, she's like horrified at herself for letting herself smile and, you know, have these soft feelings yeah. for these outsiders. Because we know that her real plan is to fuck them over and ditch right. them in a hole. Right. Yeah. So she well, does not want to be having these soft feelings. No, no. Also, like, I f this, you know, one of the, the emotional themes of this episode is everybody is capable of having soft feelings. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Huh, and I like that. I like that. Yes. And then we have sometime later, three moons are high in the twilight sky. And then it occurred to me, and I know you can't question this kind of metaphysics in a fantasy uh -huh, world. Yeah. And it's fine. I'll let it go. But I just have to point it out. Have you ever noticed that when it's supposed to be daytime, the moons look really bright like suns? And when it's supposed to be nighttime, the moons just look like moons again? Yeah, I just... You gotta yeah, let it go. Yeah, it's I just, I just let it go. Yeah, I it's just fine. let it go. It's fine. Yeah. Because so, I noticed, I was like, oh yeah, it's night, there's the moons. And I was like, wait a minute, during the day, the moons are exactly the same, but they just look brighter. Yeah. That's fine. Um, But yeah, just, you know... As we're walking, we also learn that, you know, Huntara learns they're from Bright Moon. And yeah. that's kind of a thing to know. And Bo is like, I actually don't think we're going the right way. Mm -hmm. We're going a different way. And mm -hmm. this does not seem correct. And of yeah. course, Adora is like, well, it's probably a shortcut. Well, before uh, Bo even says odd. it to Adora, Bo and Glimmer have their little sidebar where he's like, I don't think this is right. And Glimmer's like, well, we're being supportive, so we can't say anything. And they just start, you know, arguing with each other. Well, you shush. No, you shush. And I know. They, get into a they shush do that whole thing. Yeah. You know, because they're really <laughs> trying to be supportive. They're trying yep. so hard to be supportive that they're not 
thinking they should even tell Adora that they're suspicious. <laughs> they could be entirely fucked. Yes. So. But then, as you said, Bo does tell Adora that he's pretty sure they're going the wrong way and she doesn't want to hear it. She's like, oh, it's probably a shortcut. Oh, it's probably Antara, fine. wouldn't be going anywhere. Right. So, and, you know, it's, it's like this. So when they get there, Antara's like, we're there. And it's like this, like, we're thunder. Where? Yeah, it's like this, like Thunderdome, like Am- amphitheater, amphitheater. But yeah. there's like a sundial, sundial. yeah. Like it's a very I don't weird, mysterious, empty place. Yeah, I don't, I don't fucking know. Where and... you could walk down to the bottom of and be in a bad, vulnerable position. So why right. would you walk down into the bottom of it? But you would walk down to the bottom of it because Huntara's like, yeah, you know, just go down to the bottom of this. Nothing could possibly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So they, they head in and Adora is immediately like, wait, this is not right. Yeah, this can't be the thing. Yeah. And, and while she's puzzling, par- some, something happens. Zap. Paralyzing darts. So many. Everybody gets hit with paralyzing darts. They try to fight back. Does not work. They yeah, lose was... their weapons for the honor of Clomp. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do a weapons corner for blow darts and blow guns. They are, you know, a historical weapon used by many, many, many cultures all around the world. But one interesting thing I did learn is that um, paralyzing darts have almost never been used on people, even with poison. Um, they're usually just for small critters. And I assume it's because the ratio of the amount that you would need to take down a human would just be way more than you could fit on a dart. Yep. Yeah. But that. it's a cartoon. It's fine. Yep. Cartoons. It's fine. It also, yes. you know. Yeah. So, boom, they're down. They're knocked out. And Huntara, you know, Huntara betrayed them. Outsiders yes. are a risk to us all. I yes. did tell you not to trust anyone, Blondie. And she, thro- uh, you know, she throws a Dora's <laughs> cocky flirting line back at her and makes her feel like a damn idiot. Yeah. You know, poison darts, but you probably figure that out being a fast learner and all. Yeah. Like, ouch, baby, uh, ouch. We were just starting to like Huntara. Why? Yeah, yeah. Why'd you and, do it, Huntara? Yeah. And of course, we see that goat girl and lizard girl are there in the background. These are yep. her These are her accomplices slash goons. Her slash lackeys. Whatever. Her lackeys. Yeah. And so the best friend squad gets thrown in a pit. And also, calling back to the princess bride could be the pit of despair. It could be the pit of despair. And there's a great shot visually um, of this pit. We see it from the best friend squad's point of view. We are at the bottom of the pit looking up, seeing only the ring of the top of the pit and the circle of the nighttime sky and this huge pinkish purple moon right in the middle, which is beautiful. And then Huntara and her lackeys come and stand around the edge holding up their stolen weapons. Yep. And Huntara says, outsiders are a risk to all of us. I did tell you not to trust anyone, Blondie. Oh, no. And they don't have just, their weapons. Yeah, just ouch, baby. Ouch, baby. No sword. No nothing. No. How can Adora be She-Ra without the sword? Well, she is She-Ra. Intrinsically. And Intr- nobody else is She-Ra. Oh, no. So she's got to figure it out. They're trapped. But for oh. now, we leave them trapped in, in a possible... Pit of despair. Possible pit of... Uh, I, I was trying to for an alliteration there, folks. I didn't get there. Now a we're... pernicious pit of possible uh, despair. Love it. There we go. And then we go back to Hordak Sanctum. Back to the Sanctum. Sanctum. 
And oh, this is so cute. So it's very cute. So Hordak's acting like he's got the flu. So he's, you know, he's horrified to find out he's been wrapped in a cuddly blanket. He's wrapped in a cuddly blanket, and Trapta brought him soup. That's yes. so cute. She's just trying to take care of him. But you know, but he's a giant man baby. He's and a giant he's man it baby. So hard for her. And you know, and she puts it in all of the all of the little like a bunch of tiny soups. Cause that's, that's her thing. And that's her thing. And Hordak is like, gromp, 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 gromp. And uh, I am imp- not discussing this. And it, <laughs> I love the the touch of Imp sniffing the soup and being like, nope. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, and trapped a soup probably you know isn't the best, but you know, try. She tried, and nobody then... Nobody else is making this bitch soup. Nobody else is making this bitch soup. Yep. And then we learn some really important facts. Major, major evil exposition dump. Major evil exposition dump. Jenny, do you want to take it? Sure. So Entrapta observes that Hordak's armor is holding him together. And Hordak's, is none of your concern. And Entrapta jumps immediately to the conclusion, you're from another planet. I would have jumped to your science experiment, but, you know, she gets there. You know, you're from yeah. another planet. That thing in the vitrine looks like you. And vitrine, again, is a word for the glass case that the floating Hordak fetuses are all in. And you've got tech compensating for your body. As a scientist, I'm not going to stop until I figure out what's going on. Now tell me everything! And then Hordak then... Just- tells yes. everything i so. am a clone what uh, he's a clone yeah so he dramatically hits the closest glass case as he says it and they all light up showing all these horrific disformed baby hordak fetuses and so you know a good story is about to be told oh and yeah so as he tells the story they do a really cool animation style change yes which um reminds me of a similar um thing that they do in Avatar, The Last Airbender, and Legend of Korra. Whenever they have to tell a story from the distant past, they use a different and much simpler animation style. Yes, yes. In Avatar episode 202, The Cave of Two Lovers, and in Legend of Korra 207 and 208 beginnings, there's um, a very significant backstory from the distant past, and they use not, not similar animation to this, but a similarly different animation style that's very different from the main animation style of the show to tell a different story within the main story. Yeah. It's almost reminiscent of shadow puppetry. Yes. And then uh, I had that as well for this, that the, um, before we get into what the actual exhibition dump is, the style here is it's very high contrast, very dark. Like it's like shadows with, you know, like, like, lines of 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 light colors lines of red and you know like the only all you see is like something outlining a cape in red or eyes are green it's it's very cool yes yes it's yes it's beautiful it's really beautiful yes um so hordak tells us the tale of horde prime emperor of the known universe what he's a clone of horde prime what yes so he tells us Horde Prime cloned himself, building an army to conquer all he saw. Planets, worlds, galaxies fell before us. I was his top general, but there was a defect in my cloning. And defects are worthless to Prime. I was sent to die on the front lines, but during battle, a portal opened and sent me crashing to Etheria, stranding me here. With nothing but a broken ship, 
I built an empire. When my portal opens, I shall bring forth my brother's armies to crush the rebellion. And Horde Prime will see that he was wrong. I am not a defect. I am worth something. Wow. That's... So, damn. Well, there we go. All right. So we know what, you know, Hordak's driving, you know... Yeah, so that driving was a factor huge, is. huge, huge amount of exposition. Like, game changer. Yeah. Obviously. So, so, okay. So in this, we learned that, like, Hordak is a clone. There is a Horde Prime who is a conquer part of a conquering army and he's that the leader it, of like a universe destroying conquering army he's the leader of a universe destroying conquering army the founder of a universe destroying conquering army that built an army of his own himself yeah he just cloned himself they're all just little versions they're of him they're all just little versions just of like him beyond creepy yeah super creepy and a portal opened before at least Any once other, before. At least once before. We don't know when this portal opened yet. Right, but, but we do eventually. I'm pretty sure that the time that Hordak came through was not the time that Adora came through. No, this is correct. Because he was already established on Etheria when Adora yes. came through. Yes, yes. So portals so, are a thing. This is one of portal, the things we find so out. So we learn that portals are a thing. Hordak came through a, the, a first portal. And Adora came through another portal. And there's an army of Hordax out there. There's an army of Hordax out there. And he's trying to open another portal to let, you know, Horde Prime know where he is so they can bring the other army of Hordes there and he can prove himself. Which would be horrifying. Terrifying. But, but the end of his speech comes, he slams his fist on the vitrine and he says, but... The portal machine does not work. I haven't conquered the planet. I could not even clone a new body for myself. Perhaps Prime was right. I am a failure. And there's another really great visual moment. As he's saying he couldn't clone a new body for himself, he leans over the vitrine and half of his face is reflected back while the yep. other half of the glass case shows the creepy mutated Hordak fetus. Yeah. So that's subtle. Yeah, you know. Right, we get it. We get it. Oh, yeah, we get it. Yeah. But meanwhile, Entrapped is like, okay, fine, exposition dump, that's fine. I'm listening, but I have an idea. Which yeah, totally kind of not listening. She's yeah. already working on it. She's, you know, super excited. She's got a task. She just needs to get her tools. BRB, swoop, off she goes in the air vents, <laughs> leaving a very bemused Hordak in her wake. Yeah. Wow, that was a lot of information. Do you yeah, want to go back to the- It takes a lot to freak out in Trapta. She's not shook at all. Not really. No. She's just excited because information. She Yeah, exactly. And now she has some ideas. Yes. So let's get back to the Crimson Waste. Yes. Best friend squad still in the hole. Best friend squad still in the hole. Tried nine times to teleport out. No dice. Yeah, so they keep teleporting up to the top. But then they just fall right back down. And Seems of course, really frustrating. You know, they keep falling on Bo. Yeah. Poor Bo. Poor Bo. But, you know. Finally, on the 10th, Triglimmer manages to teleport them expertly both up and sideways so that they land above ground. Good yep. job, Glimmer. Good job, Glimmer. And so they're finally out of the hole. And... Glimmer's cranky and frustrated. She vents for a moment, which she is certainly entitled to do. Absolutely. Until Bo not so subtly reminds her with a significant look that Adora 
is super buff. Yeah, I mean, looking it, so crestfallen. Yeah, she's like she just wanted to come and figure out who she was and where she came from, and you know, it's just feeling really defeated because. She's been so chipper the entire time, right? But then, like, there's only so chipper you can get. There's only so many times you can fail before you're just like, oh, come on. Yeah, and still maintain that upbeat attitude. Absolutely. Yeah, so So Glimmer quickly switches gears back to supportive friend. Yeah. She's like, oh, I mean, I'm so glad we finally get out of there. Hey. Yeah. And, you know, know, Bo is like, hey, you know what? We don't have to give up. We'll still get those answers. Sure, this has been tough, but we got your back. Yeah, you know, this adventure has only been the same amount of disastrous as all of our adventures. And it always works out in the end because we've got each other's backs and we're a team. Yeah. General support and encouragement. Oh, good job, Bo. You're the best. Yeah. And then, you know, Glimmer's like, yeah, and besides, it's not like you stole our weapons and left us stranded. And uh, Dora was like, oh, it's Huntara. And Glimmer was like, yeah, it's exactly Huntara's fault. But we now learn that no, no Adora no. is a master tracker and sees that Huntara left footprints in sand. Of course, as many people do when they walk in sand. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, congratulations, you're a master tracker. You can see someone's footprints in sand. Well, I mean, to be <laughs> fair, I think she's probably better at tracking people than either of us would be. That's true. So it's back on. They're tracking Huntara. Good job, it's Adora. Back on, and we are back in the fright zone. Yes, this is a lot of quick back and forth at this point in the episode. We got a We've lot got, of a lot of ground to cover here. So yes, yes, Entrapta gleefully wielding a blowtorch while exclaiming, "Oh, this is gonna be so much fun! It's gonna be so fun!" Yes, while Hordak sits on the couch next to Imp with his arms crossed, looking like a sullen teen, and Rump. basically says, "I don't need any help, Mom." Whatever, you don't know me. Yeah. And Entrapta, who is already doing seven different tasks with her hair, says that everybody needs help sometimes, and she gives a really great speech. Yeah, she does. Do you want to do it? Sure. Yeah. Entrapta says, everybody needs help sometimes, and you shouldn't be upset that you're not perfect. Take Emily. Her program is glitchy, the left leg sticks, and she's loud. And Emily is kind of spinning around being cute while Entrapta is saying this. Emily's got quirks, but that's why I like her. Imperfection is what makes scientific experimentation possible. Imperfection is beautiful, at least to me. And then at the very end as she's saying this, Entrapta's face is illuminated by a rain of sparks, framing her face in this way that just makes her look extra glowy as she smiles. I know. And it's a really beautiful moment. It's really beautiful and really romantic. I'm not sure if I think it's romantic, but either way, it's... It's really emphasizing that this is a core value speech. Imperfection is beautiful. You shouldn't be upset that you're not perfect. I I mean, in the way that like it is like a romanticized view of Entrapta. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Oh, I thought you meant romantic between Entrapta and Hordak. Like they're getting romantic with each other. No, no. You mean it in more of the classical sense. Ah, yes. Yes. I agree completely. Yes. 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 And Hordak has never had anyone talk to him like this. No. He looks completely nonplussed. He has no idea how to react. So also, he just kind of doesn't react at all. Yeah. And and I can, you know, sometimes I really need to hear this speech because imperfection is beautiful is something I need to hear because I am a Virgo. Yes, and you are. 
a big, big Virgo. <laughs> I can attest to this, dear listeners. I am a Virgo. And um, uh, if one You're is not... You're a double Virgo, right? No, I'm not. No, okay. But <laughs> bless. Um, <laughs> you just but seem like it sometimes. I just, I, I'm very neurotic and I'm a perfectionist. And something I always need to be reminded of is that it's okay to not be perfect. So. Yes. I mean, it's more than okay. It's, you know, especially from Entrapta's point of view, without imperfection, scientific experimentation would not be possible. Yeah. It's the key to, you know, aliveness. Yeah. You know, Things that are perfect are not alive. They're stagnant sure. and yeah. dead. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just there's many ways to approach that. But it's a it's a core aspect of Entrapta's character and identity. And she is all about it. Um, and so she continues working on him as he, he doesn't know how to react. So he just kind of lets her. She grabs him. She positions him. She's working on his body. And mm-hmm. she says, and you're really too obsessed with this whole failure thing. I mean, I'm a failure. And Hordak says, you are not a... And she slaps (laughs) his mouth with one of her hair appendages to shut him up. She just keeps talking. She says, I don't fit in. I became friends with Adora, but she abandoned me. Then I became friends with Katra, but she doesn't talk to me anymore. But that doesn't mean I give up. I scrounged up a few more pieces of First One's tech, and I can't think of a better use for it than this. And so, you know, she... She doing her thing. All the machines mm-hmm. come down. They're working on him. And ah, bah, 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 bah. and then finally they all move back. And Entrapta says, ta-da! She has totally remade his armor. Aww. And he's, he is so strong and happy now. She says, your armor is more of an exoskeleton now. The tech compensating for your organic body. What does it feel like? Hmm. I do like before we go into Hordak's yeah. response. Yeah, I yeah. like that we're getting a little bit more of inter- uh, Entrapta's internal life here. Like, mm-hmm. like this. You know, she says it like kind of like flippantly, but you like, yeah. s- you know, like she's literally saying, "I am a failure. I don't know how to make friends." Like, right. So you know, kind of being like, you know, we're both outsiders. If you're a failure, yes. I'm a failure, and we're both outsiders, so we might as well be friends. Yeah. So, yeah, very true. So, but, you know, back to Hordak's <laughs> Hordak's positive response to this um, and Hordak saying one of the nicest, one of the nicest things he's ever said, which was, um, uh, first of all, he says that he feels powerful and he says, yes. I, um, <clears throat> I acknowledge the work you put into this. It is very technologically sound. <laughs> yes, that's the first thing he says. And before he even says that, after he says powerful, and before he says what you just said, he sort of turns away from her with sort of conflicting emotions on his face. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's struggling in this moment because this is the first time he's ever been vulnerable with anyone. Yes, absolutely. At least on purpose, anyone who didn't throw it back at him or use it against him. Yeah. And now, and now he's strong again. And so he doesn't know how to relate to her. Because he oh. was vulnerable, but now he's not vulnerable. Oh, I like that. And she's nice to him, but now he, you know, he's strong again. So I feel like he just has no idea how, how he's supposed to talk to her or relate to her. I like and that. And so, like, you know, what you just said is the first thing he said. Like, he wants to say thank you, but he has no idea how to say it. Yeah, and yeah. And so I... it's like, you know, he said what he just said, what you said. And Imp kicks him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, ah! <laughs> 
like, which is clearly meant to mean, dude, what the fuck? That is yeah, not exactly. sufficient. That is not a sufficient thank you. And <laughs> That's so Hordak, not how you say thank you. <laughs> Hordak tries again. And you can bet if it was Catra, he would just say, you know, something like, well, fuck you and storm off or, you right. know, kick her out and, you know, be mean. But he really is making an effort. He tries again. Can I can I do this? Yes, please, I love it. please. So Horak says, <clears throat> uh, no matter what you say, you are not a failure. And he, <laughs> I love this. Anyone who discounts you are utter fools. And I'm yes. like, this is like With your, such your, dramatic body yeah, language. Yeah, also. And the music is dramatic. I know. So it's awesome. Utter fools. You know, it's got the like, you know, the the villain, the villainous arms yes. over the head, fist clenching like, you know. Yes, he raises his arm as if to say like onward to battle. Yeah, you know. And this is like your grouchy friend telling you that you suck less than everyone else right yes and, and, and Trapta <laughs> is just sitting there cross-legged on her hair chair yeah and she like she she gets it yeah it's like she totally gets what he's saying and it's mm-hmm. like thanks i like being friends with you too yes and he's so disarmed but and she just yeah. puts her little hair hand on his shoulder yeah and, you know he just kind of wilts and drops both his arms yeah. she has literally disarmed him yeah Aw, that's actually a nice scene. Good job. It, it's a very nice scene. Good and job, so my villains. my last bullet point, I know we're running long on this episode. My last bullet point on that scene is how do we feel about Hordak's humanity after all this new information and about seeing his vulnerability within Trapta? Hmm, I feel conflicted. Yeah, me too. So. Um, it really evokes the expression, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah, it does. It does. So you want to go back to the Crimson Waste? Because I always want to go back. I do. So we're back at the Crimson Waste, Huntara and uh, Horned Goon Girl or Goat Lady uh, and and Lizard Lady are, you know, just hanging out around the campfire telling stories like, what does this weapon do? With their stolen wares. With their stolen wares. and, And you were totally right in being a jerk to them. These yep. are some of my favorite campfire stories. Yep. And they notice that Huntara is kind of feeling vulnerable about it and start making fun of her. Oh, I think Huntara liked them. Yeah. And Huntara's like, shut up. No, yeah, yeah. you know, I did what I had to to keep us all safe. Yep. And, you know, she, uh, <laughs> uh, goat girl. Or horned Homer really goon. seems to have no sense of self-preservation right now. Because she knows really. Huntara can kick her ass. Not really. She's like, you act so tough, but you're running scared from something just like the rest of us. Just yep. like Hordak was. Oh, I mm-hmm. see. That sometimes mm-hmm. the toughest among us are the ones that are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And Huntara says, I don't run away from anything. I'm Huntara of the Crimson Waste. And then we <laughs> have a great fucking entrance. Yep. Q Glimmer. Who comes in with one of her incredible flying like punches yep. and is like, that's nice. I'm Princess Glimmer of Bright Rune and I sparkle. Yep. Yes. And then we have an epic fight. We have a really fun fight scene. Fucking epic fight. Yep. Yep. Oh, Huntara so and Adora good. have a really hot jock lesbian showdown, oh, which is, so you know, trying to take their weapons back from each other. It's so good. They both say, that's mine. Come and take it. And there's just so much like. Uh, and I feel it's, like there's really good balance because 
Bo and Glimmer have some pretty good comedic fighting going on mm-hmm. in the background with the two goons. Yeah. So there's like serious fighting, comedy fighting, you know, and, 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 then, and like, there's that epic 80s Shira guitar solo while Huntara and Adora are battling. And, and they are just like, yeah, and they're they just like equally matched. They are just Guys, going, it's so serious. They are going in. I mean, like, oh, I just like Huntara. I got to read this fight scene. And they both. <laughs> sword chin tilt each other at different uh, points in the gauge uh, the gates chin tilts with the uh it's it's yes, so go good ahead. go ahead whatever uh, you want okay. to read so i am going to so they're fighting they're fighting it's hot there's lots of parrying they they steal each other's weapons all of this crazy shit happens uh i can't even describe half of it you just just go back and watch it because it's amazing yeah but here is my favorite part where, you know, okay. <clears throat> so we have Huntara looking away for a moment, then shouts and swipes the sword in an arc meant to take Adora's head. Adora dodges and rushes Huntara, headbutting her, sending her reeling back. Adora continues to flip, it continues forward and kicks Huntara, sending the sword flying. Adora flips herself to land away as the sword stabs near Huntara, who holds her head and shakes it. So Huntara's like kind of out of it. Glimmer teleports next to the sword, pulls it out, making Huntara gasp in surprise. And then Glimmer's like, quick, time for She-Ra, tosses it to Adora. Okay. And so Huntara is like totally taken back now. I was like, wait, you know about She-Ra? And then I also have this as one of my gayest moments and possibly- same. Also, like, one of the most epic moments in the show, because it's yep. awesome. So, Adora says, huh, no, She-Ra, I am She-Ra. So, she fucking grabs the sword, right, like, out of the air. Drags, like a boss. Like a boss. And the cut is, it's so, like, it's like a samurai movie. She yeah. takes it flat side out and, like, drags it across her face, yeah. flips it. Like flips it to the side. So all you see is like you see the sword flat and then you see it like blade yeah. side. So it's yeah. thin. And her eyes, like her eyes are just like above yep. the line of the yep. sword. And then yeah. you yeah. know. Friggin- I have all of that summarized as Adora does some totally unnecessary but very enjoyable sword flare. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> and then she just and then she like friggin' transforms and becomes as big as Huntara, and Huntara yep. is still kind of like, what, She-Ra's a person? Yeah, and, and <laughs> Huntara is just on the ground in awe. Uh-huh, and then we have, like, She-Ra now, like, above Huntara, kind of, like, straddling above her, and then does the the gay sword-tip chin lift, and that Huntara had done to her earlier. And, and said, So now you- it's a full reversal chin sword tilt it's like it's so gay gay. i'll see your gay and raise you another gay it's so gay it's so gay this ties my gayest moments yeah like because like pretty much anything between the two of them is a gayest moment yeah um and then we get the the bomb that like adora knows that Hentara was from the Horde. Yes, they recognize each other as fellow Horde deserters. Game recognizes game because of... Mm -hmm. So earlier in the episode, you said that you didn't think that... 
Adora recognized the fighting style because they didn't use bow staffs in the Horde, retractable bow staffs in the Horde. They do use bow staffs in the Horde, and we see it in Promise. When Teenage Adora and Teenage Catra are training, they're training with bow staffs. I said retractable bow staffs. Okay, okay. Yeah. So And because Huntara's weapon isn't really a bow staff. But she uses one it. end one end is a blade. I said right. it's the, cl- the closest real world re- weapon to what Huntara's using right. is a retractable bow staff. Right. But where she's not but using yes, it yes, in the battle. Horde uses, the Horde uses bow staffs. And in battle, she's using it as a bow staff. She's not like going after Adora to stab her. She's using it like, and Adora actually grabs it, does use it kind of like a sword when a, when Hantara has it. But there are moves that they're both recognizing, yeah, both yeah, yeah. with the staff and yeah. with the sword, yeah. that they yeah. are recognizing no, that they're I, both using I mean, fighting yes, signs both from, from the, the horde. horde. They're both yeah. trained by the Horde in fighting. I, I never meant to imply okay. that anything to the contrary. Okay. Her okay, specific cool. weapon is not like horde weapons specifically but i did not mean to imply anything that okay goes contrary to what you're saying okay cool i just wanted to like i just wanted to check back around that okay so we we know that they're both from the horde yes and we both know that they left for their own reasons um we know why adora left because we saw that happening but uh huntara left because she saw how hordak was just throwing soldiers away and yes. she Adora, like yeah sorry you go ahead no go ahead i was gonna say i thought it's interesting that adora left because she realized the horde was bad because of how they were treating the rest of etheria and right. Hatara left because she realized the horde was bad because of how they treated their own soldiers yes and exactly both are equally valid and both are equally valid and and but while shira joined the rebellion hantara uh deserted Right. And left. doesn't believe that she can make a difference whatever side she would pick. Right. Everyone, as she has said several times, all the war will destroy all those fools caught up in it. Right. Exactly. She's like, well, it's not worth it. Yeah. So and even a tall, shiny girl like you. Yes, exactly. And (laughs) this is also a gayest moment that I have uh, where Shira says, I'm not alone. Maybe I'm not. Maybe, but I'm not alone. I won't stand by and watch people get hurt. I won't run away. And so Huntara scowls and then looks away. But Shira grabs her chin and mm-hmm. gently pulls her in to look her like in the eyes and says, I need your yeah. help. And it's and like Shira's hair is majestically blowing right. in the wind again. Whenever she's having a big hero moment, her yeah. hair is majestically blowing in the wind that doesn't exist for anyone other than her. And it's just like, and Hatara's like, aha, because Hatara was not expecting to be topped today, but she totally was. Yeah. And Hatara's yeah. getting her hero call right now, and it has to be really, really gay. Yeah. So another gayest moment. Um, yeah. And Hatara, I need your help. I need you to help us find what we came here for. Together, we can all bring this war to an end. But, you know, just yep. as they are having this wonderful moment together, uh, you know, uh, goat goat lady and lizard lady uh, come in, and yeah. Oops. you know, bone glimmer weren't paying attention. Oops, bone glimmer weren't paying attention. Oops, they st- but also oops, they still think that Huntara's on their side. Yes, Huntara yes, so, is not. You know, Huntara has made her choice. Yep, she and will do what she can to help us. Huzzah! Yeah, she heard the calling. Huzzah! She's gonna face her problems head on. Yes, she. You know. She 
she's so going to be kids. there to help We've him out. Lots of ground to cover before you reach the ship. And then, you know, Shira and, and Huntara do the gay forearm warrior uh, handshake yes. like they do on Xena. Yes, very Xena like. Um, and Shira says, wait, ship? What? what ship? What ship? And we look, and there's a fucking spaceship. Whose spaceship is it? And Adora knows it's Mara's ship. What? It's and a we... giant, shiny silver spaceship sticking out of the sand, looking all mysterious and shit. Wow. That's my last line. Wow. And that is the end. And that is the end. Yes. And before we end the episode, I have a final question for us to ponder about Mara's ship. I love pondering. As we get to know know Mara's ship over the next three, two and a half seasons that we have left. So this is going to be especially for season five once we really start getting to know Mara's ship, a.k.a. Darla. And you might know more about this than I do, Meth, because this is something I just looked up recently for this episode. Okay. Um, is Mara's ship, a.k.a. Darla, an eldritch starship? Or is huh. it just a general living ship? Um, this is a trope um, that I found on TV tropes, but it's a trope that can be found across all different kinds of media. So I'm going to read you what it says on TV tropes about eldritch starships. Yes, please. The polar opposite of a standard human starship and alien beyond even the smooth lines and flashy colors of the standard alien spaceship, these are spacecraft, time machines, and or interdimensional vehicles whose weirdness goes beyond the living ship. And I'll tell you more about what makes a regular living ship in a minute. This phenomenon also exists in other types of non-spaceship settings called Eldritch Locations, such as Lost Worlds, Wonderlands, Strange Planets, Incomprehensible Voids, like the Primordial Chaos, etc. The milder form usually begins with bigger on the inside or dimensionally transcendent in some way, other than bog standard, faster than light travel. And it only grows weirder from that point on, may involve body horror or invoke elements of cosmic horror story, which Mm -hmm. in this case, definitely cosmic horror story, yes. They might be constructed out of unconventional materials or powered by them, or be connected to higher levels of reality, or have an exceptionally unusual user interface, which, again, Mm -hmm. ding, 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 or an otherworldly interior whose alien geometrics look like they were designed by M.C. Escher. Mm -hmm. Frequently, they are a genius loci, which is uh, Latin for spirit of a place, and it means a location with a mind. Oh. Like like Danny the sentient genderqueer street on Doom Patrol? Yes, yes, I was going to talk about that. And there's yes. a non-binary a non-binary flag when you walk down the street. Yes. 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 Um, or function as a setting as character, like the swamp and the spirit world in Avatar and Korra. Right. Um so or, I think it's yeah. Or so the I think doctor's it's, the doctor's ship, right? The from I, Doctor I Who. I haven't seen Doctor Who, but this yes. This is your but yes, this, yes. Yes. It's the yes. doctor's the doctor's ship. It's the yes. the, f- the phone booth. Yeah. Yeah. So the difference between an eldritch ship and a general living spaceship is somewhat murky, but in general it seems to be that that a, a regular living ship that's not an eldritch ship is just an organic life form that's also a ship. Like the spaceship from Nope is a regular living ship. Um if you've seen Star Trek Next Generation, there's an episode in season three called Tin Man starring Harry Groner, who is the mayor from Buffy. Um, he oh, yeah, plays, that episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, he plays a psychic person who is so overwhelmingly psychic that it's debilitating for him. Uh-huh. And then he meets up with this 
psychic spaceship creature and then he and the psychic spaceship creature just live together in harmony and then he doesn't have to hear billions of voices and the psychic spaceship creature that was super depressed because it was alone is now happy because it has a passenger oh yeah there's also this i just want to jump in there is also a doctor who episode about a living ship so yeah i mean there are many examples across literature tv film comic books video games um, and the last example of a regular living ship that's not an Eldritch ship that I was going to give is the Living Treehouse ship from Brian K. Vaughn's Saga series, which is a comic book series that I love. Mm-hmm. So that's not and that doesn't have a higher intelligence. Over the course of the series, you sort of get the sense that it has some low level order of intelligence, but it doesn't have a brain. So living ships don't necessarily have higher intelligence. Right. And here's a, f- a few examples. Three examples that I know of Eldritch ships. And, you know, there could be a lot more. And you, again, you could look this up on TV Tropes. Um, from Star Trek IV, The Journey Home, 1986, yep. from the original yep. Star Trek movie series. Um, the whale probe that comes to Earth looking yes. to speak with humpback whales. <laughs> yes, yes, um, the, the That's whales. definitely an Eldritch ship. It's a <laughs> giant, unmanned, textured cylinder with a smaller sphere that's sort of held in an energy beam. And it comes to talk to the whales and it's just like ripping the earth apart because it doesn't know how to talk to humans. It only knows how to talk to the whales and it doesn't know why the whales aren't talking back. Yep. And that's why they have to go back in time to find humpback whales to bring to the future to save the earth. And then um, Flight of the Navigator, which is also from 1986. Little boy, you've never thing. seen that? No, I no, I haven't. I'm like the only like 80s kid that has never seen Flight of the Navigator. It's a great movie. Yeah. Little boy goes on this awesome wild adventure through space and time with an intelligent ship that can morph its shape as needed. Bloop, here's a door. Bloop, here's some stairs. Bloop, now it's super pointy because we're going to go super fast and be more aerodynamic. Um, cool. And, you know, it could be made from it could be made from anything. And, you know, right, like right. the original um, description said there's a lot of room for different interpretations. Right. Was, right. was it designed by people? Did it design itself? Right. You know, how is the intelligence manifested? Yeah. And I just want to like point out that like, I know this answer and it ran out of my brain. Doctor Who's ship is called the TARDIS. And I can't believe that I did not remember that because I've watched a lot of Doctor Who. So yeah, the TARDIS is absolutely an example of an Eldritch ship. Um, I've heard of the TARDIS. I just don't know anything about it. Yeah. It's from Doctor Who and it's absolutely like, it is like the platonic idea of an eldritch ship this is like yeah yeah absolutely i think that darla qualifies as an eldritch ship i think that's a i think that's a decent hypothesis yeah Um, but you know we'll have to mull it over as we continue to watch because this is a new concept to me i just googled you know intelligent spaceship and this is where i ended up no i think that's really cool and i think that's a really awesome um that is a really awesome term that i've never heard that does describe like yeah. this particular kind of ship yeah it that's seems cool. to originate from um star wars the original eldritch spaceship was a ship from star wars but i couldn't find any information about okay. it and i don't yeah. know star wars so cool. maybe someone else can tell me about it yeah. Who knows? well so that's it that's it all right well can't wait to get to know this spaceship i can't either Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to wander the desert in search of your destiny with us, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast, or you can email us at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. Hey, 
Hey, Jenny. Hey, Math. Did, did you know we have a Patreon? I love our Patreon. It's I, my favorite place on the internet. It's my favorite place on the internet. So if you become a member of the Rebellion and join our Patreon, you will get fantastic perks like private Facebook group, Discord server, exclusive playlists, Patreon-only video hangouts. Jenny, I heard you're reading a book. Yes, we're almost done with Ruby Fruit Jungle. So Jenny is d- going through the queer canon and doing audio, ver- like audiobook versions of the queer canon and is reading uh, Rita Mae Brown's Ruby Fruit Jungle right now. Many more books to come, but Jenny. Yes, it's you're- very fun and exciting. Jenny's book hour. <laughs> yes, it's queer story hour with Princess Jenny twice queer a story- week for all patrons. All patrons on all levels. So please check it out. And you can find a link to our Patreon as well as a link to this week's country western uh, themed Spotify playlist, Huntara. I, I made I made I found lesbian country music, y'all. It's not that it's actually not that hard to find, but Yeah, yeah. There's definitely it, le- lesbian there's country tons music. Of to lesbian be country music and boy howdy, did I pack it into the next two episodes. Woo-hoo. So I have country music, Western music, uh, Western film score music. Um, all next episode, I have some Norteña. I have if it if it makes you think of the desert, I put it on a playlist. So you can find the li- the link to that in our show notes or at heyadora.gay. Yeah, that's, I'm never gonna get sick of that website. I'm never gonna get sick of the fact that we have a dot gay. And remember, folks. Queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe. Ow! Ow! <whistles> womp, womp, womp.